0: Martin has been a mental health professional for longer than he cares to remember. For the last 10 years, he's been the founder and managing consultant at Clarity, Stress and Trauma. When he isn't travelling to provide support after traumatic events, you'll find him delivering training courses or feeding his chickens.
1: Adam has been a BBC journalist and presenter for over... Well, put it this way, he had plenty of hair back then. Using his extensive BBC experience, his company, Adam Kirtley Media, provides media, crisis media and presentation skills training across the world. He used to feed his own flock of chickens until the fox ate them all.
0: Martin, I'll be honest with you. Uh, We are trying to host a refugee. We're finding the process extremely difficult, but it is something that we want to do. We're lucky we've got the space. It needn't just be space. People are offering uh, a room in a small house. I suppose... What fascinates me is why this particular conflict, war, has really made so many of us, me included for the first time in my life, decide to take somebody in, in this case Ukrainians, rather than the Afghan situation or the Yemeni situation, of course, the awful war in Syria.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think there are a real mix of contributing factors to this. I think things that make a difference, things that perhaps, as you say, swing it towards so many people wanting to do such generous things to be helpful, are things like the way in which the Ukrainians, from our point of view, are plainly the victims. So although there has been long-running conflict between Ukraine and Russia. I think on those occasions, we've thought of Russia as the transgressors in the Crimea, for instance. And on this occasion, it's really, you know, from our point of view, undoubted. Also, of course, we can see that it is just unreasonable to expect all of the Ukrainian people to remain living in, in the Ukraine. It's appalling, the damage that's being caused, not just the danger now, but even when finally the bombing finishes, The infrastructure of the country is so severely damaged. So you've got all of those things.
0: Yeah, we're not not going to get to a situation, are we, Martin, where it's, ah, the war's stopped, right, you can all go home now. It's going to take potentially a couple of years to, you know, if you just look at Mariupol, which has been effectively erased to the ground, it's going to take ages to get towns and cities up and running again. It's
1: clearly a massive infrastructure building programme which will somehow or another have to be funded and put in place. So what you've got is, is a lot of people then, many of whom I think as you hint there, would actually want to go back to the Ukraine when the time comes that it's safe and possible for them to do so, of course. And in many cases, we'll be talking about providing a temporary refuge. Others, no doubt, will, you know, one way or another settle down in the UK or other countries that they've evacuated to. But yes, you've got the sense of these people being wronged in the most horrible, dangerous, tragic way, not being that different to us. And that sense of otherness or not is important. There's lots of cultural aspects for, for Ukrainians which are not dramatically different to many British people. And of course, you know, the coverage just demonstrates day after day what a terrible thing it is that we see these thousands and thousands of people streaming over the border crossing points into the neighbouring countries, clearly needing help, seeing other countries doing their share as well. And of course, this programme that you referred to using it and finding it a frustrating process, But this method that has been offered to us via the government with a a payment involved as well, for instance. Well, as far as I'm aware, nothing like that has happened before. So in a way, it's giving people a way of of doing something helpful. Could some people be doing Mm. this for the money for the 350 quid a month? Yeah, good question. Good question. Well... I suspect a few will. But again, it comes back to something that you know is one of my favourites, you know, spectrum, spectra. So you'll have perhaps a small number of people for whom £350 a month is a heck of a lot of money and really makes a big difference. And even if you've got people living with you where there is perhaps going to be some cost implication, I don't know, you know, cost of keeping the heating on or something like that, £350 a month is still not a lot to sniff at. For others, it's really, you know, an irrelevance. They can manage, they're not going to suffer financially by having people and £350 is all very well, but they perhaps do it anyway. In a former life, so to speak, Adam, I came across uh, foster carers on numerous occasions. And foster carers are paid for taking in children who, for whatever reason, short or long term, need fostering. And so, of course, you understandably find yourself asking the same question. And as you come across foster carers, it's obvious that for some, the money makes a difference. For others, it's a near irrelevance. We'll come on to how capable
0: you and I might be at taking somebody in. But we give them a roof over their head. Uh, We might even be in a position to be able to give them some of that £350 a month. But many of them will arrive with no job, uh, with no savings that they can get out to bring here. They may not have a car, probably won't have a car unless they've driven their own out. So it's not just putting a roof over their head and being kind and welcoming them into a family, is it? There's all sorts of practical things we're going to have to try and help them with.
1: Yes, I mean, one assumes, I may be being presumptuous here, but one assumes there will be some other direct support for them in the form of, you know, payments or or practical help. And certainly I know there are lots and lots of people who are wanting to make charitable donations of all sorts of things, you know, clothing to toiletries to whatever you can think of. So in a way, I don't think the many refugees would kind of go short in in that respect. But yes, there are lots of other issues to have to address. Apart from anything, of course, even if refugees have reached safety, having left the Ukraine and then eventually coming to the UK, they may be deeply fearful. For family members. In most cases, they would have left their menfolk behind, many of which will be involved in the conflict or being shelled. So, of course, you've got people living with you who are living maybe in a constant state of high anxiety. We, of course, may give people a roof over their
0: head and bring them into a loving family and all of that. But actually, you raise a really good point, mentioning some of the trauma, leaving their menfolk behind. They could be fearful and anxious. Are we? trained or capable of dealing with some very traumatised and anxious people. I mean, does that not take skills or is it just a bit like dealing with a best mate that's broken up with a partner
1: or something? Well, it's probably a little bit more than the best mate with the partner. But my point would be that, of course, in normal life, we might have family members, friends or the people that we know who go through trials, tribulations, traumas. And we are as capable uh, as helping Ukrainians as we are of helping our friend. Hmm. The point being, in most cases, we're not very capable, but that doesn't mean we should exclude ourselves from being able to offer a home to Ukrainian refugees. What we'll need, however, is help from local services. And of course, this is bound to put pressure on local services. If we have thousands of people coming to this country, many of whom have had traumatic experiences, some of them will need some professional support, not everybody. One of the things that is a feature, I think, on occasions where you have large numbers of people affected by something like this, is that in our mind, we create a sort of hierarchy. And at the top of the hierarchy are the people that we're most concerned about, who we most think should get help. And if we see ourselves as being some way down that hierarchy, as being people who, OK, what happened was very frightening and shocking, but we've escaped, we're safe now, then often what happens is that you kind of demote your own personal need, and you sort of say, "Oh, I, you know, I don't want to receive any kind of special support until I know that the people who are most in need have been getting that help first. It would be a little bit like it being at the scene of an accident where somebody was more seriously hurt. And you wanted to make sure that the paramedics got to them first, rather than worrying about you with your broken toe. So, as a result of which, sometimes people decline. Offers of support. So it won't necessarily be the case that all the Ukrainians coming into the country are suddenly going to be forming orderly queues to see the local psychological services. I don't think that's likely to be the case, but there will be some, of course.
0: I suppose this is a really negative question, but I, yeah, maybe it is worth exploring. It all sounds great that we take people in and we give them uh, the love and attention and care that they so deserve,
1: but could it all go wrong? Well, it could go wrong because some of the people that we're having coming into the country are absolutely no doubt lovely. And in spite of everything they've gone through, nonetheless will be you know, pleasant people to have around in your home and all the rest of it. But people are people. And we know, you know take a random selection of 20, 50, 1,000 people locally, and some of them would turn out to be people you'd rather not spend much time with. Well, that might be the case with some of the Ukrainians as well. They're also going to be a slice of humanity. So some of them might be a bit more difficult to put up with. What sorts of things could go wrong? I mean,
0: you, it could be you just don't get on with them. But what other things might happen? This slice of humanity.
1: Right. When I spend some of my time training people who might come across Mm. other people who've had a very traumatic experience and part of the training is to help them not be too shocked or alarmed by the kind of things that people might say because occasionally the kinds of things that people might quite normally say if they've had a a traumatic experience can frankly sound a bit freaky. They can sound a bit worrying. And you find yourself thinking, oh, my God, what can I say? What can I suggest? How can I be helpful? And we struggle. We come up with all sorts of ideas. So if you've got somebody who says to you things like every time I close my eyes, I see again the flashes of the bombs exploding at night. Every time I try to go to sleep at night, I hear the sound of the explosions or I hear the sound of some screaming that I heard or I smell the smell of the smoke and the the cordite or, or whatever the characteristic smells are. Those sorts of sensations would be typical of the kind of thing that you would find people keep on revisiting in their mind unintentionally, involuntarily. And if somebody tells you about that and you are as you suggest, Adam, you know, uh, an unqualified, inexperienced person, what are you going to do? You might be really frightened, alarmed, shocked. What does this mean about this person? Well, I would say what it means is that this is a perfectly normal person who's had a very abnormal experience and they are having the normal reactions that people have after such experiences. But those reactions are distressing and they are disruptive. This happened a lot after, and I'm sure it happens with every
0: conflict and war. But this only happened a lot after World War II, didn't it? Where, where wives in the main wouldn't understand why their husbands just wouldn't talk about it or suddenly started screaming in the middle of the night. These are the sorts of things we who are hosting or want to host may find these people doing. And I suppose your advice there is just to try and understand that that's a normal reaction given what they've been through.
1: It, it is normal. I mean, it doesn't mean it's, it's not troublesome, of course. It's troubling for them. It's frightening and alarming for them. And whilst the conflict is still going on and people that they care about and love maybe are are in danger, then the whole thing isn't yet coming to an end and subsiding for them. OK, the immediate danger to them has, but they are still perhaps extremely fearful for people they know and their country. But so, yes, so these normal reactions are very troubling. And As you say, yes, people coming back from war is a very good example. And one of the reasons that sometimes on those occasions veterans don't want to talk about it is this thing known as survivor guilt, which perhaps you've heard of, Adam, a lot of people have. That feeling that, OK, all right, I've got these troubling memories, but look, I'm here. I'm in one piece. I survived.
0: Yes. I survived, but my next door neighbour didn't. Mm. And the Mm. people who
1: reach the UK to be looked after, as you describe, in what hopefully are going to be pleasant, welcoming homes may well find themselves looking back. And of course, if they even look at the TV coverage in the UK, seeing the plight Mm. of their Mm. countrymen and women and thinking, oh, look at me, how lucky I am. And having that sense of guilt that actually it's turned out relatively well for them what sort of tips and tricks i
0: suppose strategies martin would you give me if i'm taking a ukrainian in uh, staying with us who might suddenly feel overwhelmed by this grief and anger and anxiety and fear that you go on about so what can i do because you're
1: the trained one i'm just the humble journalist host There's an awful lot to be said for just being prepared to be what I call the willing listener. Now, the willing listener is somebody who doesn't worry that they've got to come up with a miracle solution. They haven't got to come up with a magic wand idea, some trick phrase or special clever idea that will make the person feel better, because there probably isn't such a thing possible even if you were a trained, experienced person. However, if somebody trusts you enough to be prepared to talk to you about it and sometimes they might want to do that because you're not the family member who's with them who will get very distressed if their mother for instance was to talk to them about their memories and fears so instead maybe they would trust to talk to you because you're that slightly more neutral person so if they do i'd be honored that they've trusted me to talk to me i wouldn't worry that I've got to come up with some miracle solution. It doesn't exist, and instead recognize that my role is to be the willing listener, the person who, for whatever it might be, 10, 20 minutes, gives respectful attention, listens, and, and good listening skills. Of course, are you know just allowing people to go on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Aha, yeah. aha. We have two ears and one mouth. You're quite right. Often more listening than speaking is a good idea. And in these circumstances, it can often be the case that, that there isn't very much to be said, that people will say things to you and you'll think, well, what on earth could I possibly say? And and you don't have to.
0: I hope this has been really useful. I found it fascinating because so many people, you only need to go on any of the Facebook, social media pages to see how many people are saying, I've got a room, I've got a room with a private bathroom, I've got a big garden, I've got a small house, but you're more than welcome. It's been really encouraging, I think, to show that side of human nature that want to help. But what's your advice if... Somebody comes, they arrive and for whatever reason, you just don't get on or they've kind of enjoyed staying in your tiny bedroom. But as they've got to know more people, they've thought, actually, I'd rather go and stay with Frida down the road because I've got to know her at the school gate and it's a better place for me. Is that okay? Do you just say, well, I'm glad to have helped you.
1: Time to move on. I think that's exactly what you'd say. Yes, because the whole idea, of course, is for all of these people that it's uh, temporary. Either they're going to stay with you a short period just to tide them over for now, or perhaps a lengthier period after which they, what, return to the Ukraine or or settle in this country? I don't know. But, I mean, if you don't get on, then I think it would be crazy to say, nope, 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 we made a commitment, we've got to carry on having them here, even though we can't bear looking at each other. No, that's ridiculous, of course not. There must be alternatives, and I'm sure that the scheme, although I don't know the details, will make provision for people to be able to move from one household to another, as long as they're not moving with some kind of dreadful cloud over them so nobody else wants to take them in, then all should be well. It would be ridiculous to be forcing yourself to put up with people who are having a very detrimental effect on your life and the life of your family. To end on an optimistic note, Martin, this taking in
0: of refugees, this hosting, do you think if any good can come of this dreadful, dreadful, horrible situation in Ukraine, if any good can come of it, do you think this has made us, Oh, I don't know, value the more important things in life do you think this has made us realize that actually there are some things more important than whatever your particular vice is
1: yes of course that actually happens you know at various times in life and i think we've said the same sorts of things with respect to the pandemic for instance going through the experience of, you know, lockdowns, being deprived of so many things, having cause to worry about so many people that we care about whilst not being able to see them. All of that kind of stuff has made us perhaps value things above and beyond some of the more material concerns that we have in normal life. And yes, this is another one of those occasions where this very horrible, serious conflict, again, makes us realise maybe how lucky we are to have the things that are good in our respective lives. And you know what? Something else will come along sooner or later, won't it, Adam? You're a newsman, you know. Sooner or later, there'll be something else, which, again, makes us put things into perspective.
0: Well, that's it for this time. Do follow us to get an alert when our next podcast is available. And you can contact Martin on martinalderton at
1: claritysat.com. And Adam on adamkirtleymedia.co.uk. Join us again next time.